Welcome to No Challenges remaining on day five of the 2020 French Open. I am Ben Rothenberg, joined by a repeat guest who made his NCR debut during the U.S. Open. Now it is the French Open. He's back. You know him. You love him. Alex Gruskin is here. Alex, you're in the lead segment of the show this time because Novak Djokovic didn't just get defaulted today. So you weren't bumped <laughs> a little bit, but you are here. How you doing? How have the first five days of the French Open been for you? If anyone is going to bump me, Ben, I would like it to be Tumani Cariel, so that's totally cool. I okay. got it. Uh, but could the be first arranged. five days of French show. Yeah, no, because I think that was who was on the opening segment last time. And no, no, so, it was it was Reem and Courtney last time. Oh, again, two people more than willing to be bumped by. But yeah, I, I appreciate you having me. As always, you may not know this. My birthday on Tuesday, so this feels like an early birthday gift, so thank you, Ben. Uh, yeah, this. I mean, the French Open has been everything I expected it to be. The chaos, the the drama drama, the pettiness. I didn't expect the sonic boom. Maybe that was the one explosion <laughs> I had not anticipated. But outside of that, it's been a really fun start for me. How about you? What, what have you thought through five days? First of all, how old are you turning on your birthday? Uh, 25, which feels oh significant. My God. Oh my God. Yeah, that's a quarter quarter century mark. That's not bad. You can rent a car, I think, at 25, right? Is that the thing at 25 or 26? Yeah, at 25. And I got a lecture from my dad who was like, oh, I'm going to send you a cake. I was like, that's very kind of you. Uh, because I, the best part of birthdays for him is he gets to buy the cake for the family. I no longer live in Michigan, so I know he's missing out on that experience. Uh, but he goes, yeah, and, you know, any ladies in your life, Alex? Because, you know, I'm not getting any younger. And, you know, I'm still looking for grandkids. I was like, Dad, you still have kids. Like, don't don't tell me you're looking for grandkids. You still have children who need your affection, me being one of them uh so ease back a little bit but yeah 25 i am looking forward to it one more year on their health care hopefully it goes well oh yeah, there you go that's another factor obamacare uh yeah so you heard it there alex turning 25 and is single and looking <laughs> so anyone listening who gets impressed alex will get the chance to yeah. win them over in a second with these takes we're gonna do before that overall t just general takes on the french open itself on court you mentioned the boom obviously there's been a boom of new blood in this tournament uh 13 guys who've never before made the third round of a slam or in the third round of this slam so 13 out of 32 are newcomers which feels like a really big number i haven't run all the stats but that's got to be way above average and then i think between the men and the women 17 of the third rounders are outside top 100 so some relatively unexpected names in here for sure you're you know daniel alahi galand you're growling who else here you're Norbert Gombos is not new, but he's unexpected. Your Hugo Gastons, your Federico Correas, your Pedro Martinez's, your Cordas, Travaglia. I mean, these are not like top line guys who are in a round where theoretically could have just went seeds. Yeah, no, I completely agree with you. And this teases to one of my takes we have coming up on the women's side that okay. I'll, you know, tease for now, but I'll hold. But on the men's side, you look at the names who have come through. It's guys like Sebastian Corda, guys like Pedro's Martinez Portero, a guy like Diego Montiero, who used to be one of the top juniors in the world. And yeah, he's 26, I think, 27-ish now, but he's finding his way on tour. Of course, you know, there's the case of a guy like Kevin Anderson, where it's a comeback from injury, a case like Roberto Carbea-Spena, who's just always thrived on the dirt. And so, you know, it may not be a name you expected, but it's not completely shocking. Yeah. There's always one, two unseeded players. But to your point, 
a lot of when I look at this, and I always come back to this, the generational shift, it's happening in front of our eyes. I don't think Yannick Sinner, your guy, uh, has dropped a set yet, right? Nope. Into Coming into this third round, and it's and it's expected. It's like, yeah, he's played his role. You know, he, uh, there was points during his match against Benjamin Bonsai when he would look across the court and be like, you don't deserve to be there. Like, I should be playing Rafa right now. Let me just get <laughs> through this so I get a step closer to that. And it's justified almost. I mean, so many of these players playing so well on the men's side, and I keep alluding to it, the general generational shift is happening, right? Yesterday, or two days ago, I don't know when people are listening to this, Casper Ruud versus Tommy Paul, you know, that was two young players, two, uh, you know, Tommy Paul, former junior French Open champion, Casper Ruud, we've seen the success he's had on the dirt. Hopefully that's a matchup we get repeatedly. You know, you throw in a Chechenato, who's good for a run, I guess, now every four years, but overall, it it's the youthfulness of this group that has me so encouraged. And a couple other women's names, you mentioned the women, but other names I'm going to throw in here, Bedosa, Clara Burrell, mm-hmm. Layla Annie Fernandez, all newcomers to this round. So a bunch of, and Arena Barra also, who I don't think I've ever seen play because I've not seen her this We week. do, I'm going to sneak in a plug here. We do our GSP Ace of the Day, our picks every morning. And I have a new rule. And if you're 23 years old in the women's game and I have, like your name doesn't pop out on me still, don't pick against her because there are just so many women, 23 years old, mm-hmm. younger. You mentioned Bedoza Jaber today, who was outstanding against Sloan Stevens or, you know, the random Kudermatova or Sinyakova, just all of these players, Yvonne and Burel, they are just so many good players right now in the women's game. Can I just say how appreciative I am of you at always throwing in these secondary Spanish names, whether the players use them or not, you're going full <laughs> Bedosa Jaber, which is like what she was using in like, I don't know, like Miami 2016 or whenever I first saw her. So good work, good work there on the, on the throwback Thank naming. You. Right. Again, we say, hey, great shot in the Cracker Rackets universe. <laughs> I'm not going to completely speak your language on, on, on my show, but I will I will acknowledge your dialect nonetheless. All right. So we're going to do something, you know, somewhat in between our lanes here. Format for this show. We're going to each each came up with a, a hot set of hot takes. So six takes each that I want us to go through in ascending level of heat or Scovilles or Celsius, Kelvins, whatever unit you want to measure these by. Uh, ascending levels of, of takedom and just predictions sort of things you think will happen at this tournament or beyond based on largely things that are happening at this tournament or other trends that are currently observable. So let's go. We're just going to have six takes. Alex, how about your first take? Right. Okay, Gruskin to serve first. And let me just say, I already talked about people bumping me. I talked about my dad demanding grandkids. I'm not normally this promiscuous, but I will say I am always down for some good hot sets. So we'll start with that in mind. Take number one has to do with, you know, again, the plethora of unseated players or perhaps upsets, if you want to call them that, we've seen thus far on the women's side. And unfortunately, uh, we're recording this 3.30. Had we done it at 4, maybe... I would have been able to scroll back and find this answer, but we've had 19 seeds eliminated in the women's draw through these first two rounds. Now, I can't name the last time that's happened at a major, but I can't imagine that happens fairly frequently. I would also say... It's not surprising at all, is it, Ben? Because for me, you look at some of the names who have fallen and the context by which they lost. The only ones that really shocked me, I did not expect Shmodova to take out Azarenka in convincing of a fashion as she did. I thought Putin Seva was going to beat Podoroska yesterday. That was just a three-set battle, though. That's always going to be a toss-up. But again, it speaks to the parody that... 
player ranked 65 in the world is just as good as player ranked 12 in the world right now. And I just think we continue to see that manifest itself, perhaps more so now in 2020 than maybe ever before. Or maybe I just haven't been paying attention as closely as I should have been. That could be. I I, I kind of doubt that there have been a couple years not that long ago at women's tennis where you wouldn't have like any top teners in the quarterfinals of a slam. I mean, like there've been some, there's been some weird stuff. Maybe that's not exactly true, but like maybe one top tenner in the quarterfinals. I want to say at Wimbledon a couple years ago. When, and it's usually Serena. Yeah. Well, Serena's usually, well, even when Serena was coming back from her maternity leave, she was outside top 10, yeah. but still a big star. Sure. Um, definitely. There was a year, the years 2018 Wimbledon, there were definitely no top teners in the semis at Wimbledon. And, uh, I remember Serena saying that, clarifying that Kerber was actually ranked 10th, but seated 11th or something to try to <laughs> uh, gloss up the field. But what's, what's your take here? What's your take? Yeah. So the take is just 19 seeds have lost, and it's not surprising at all because you okay. look at the names who have emerged. The fact that, you know, today, Fiona Farrow, three-set win over Rabakina. I'm, again, as big of a Rabakina f- fan as you'll find. I'm also all in on the Fiona Farrow bandwagon. I'm driving the Ferrari or Ferrari. I don't know how we're going to pronounce it. <laughs> um, but Yeah, but she just... Again, a player who doesn't jump out to you, but Fiona Farrow wins that event in Palermo right at the start of August. And in a time when matches are so limited, obviously that felt significant. Then she doesn't play in New York. You know, she's currently at number 44 in the world in live rankings. That would be a career high. And yet at 44 in the rankings, like this does not surprise me at all. I had in my bracket her knocking off Rubakina because she is just one of the many players who are ranked in that 40 to 70 range who can beat anyone on any given day i gotta say i'm glad this is your coldest take because it's pretty cold (laughs) because the the fact that there are upsets in women's tennis is supposed to be like a take like i don't know i mean i I think i think that's not surprising i don't think it's surprising so you're starting off safe i look forward to you getting wilder as we go all right like i said the first service game you go down the middle establish your rhythm that's take number one for you my takes are a little bit more predictive but we'll see it's a little bit different less reaction and more prediction so we different okay. maybe different formats here, but we'll see how we'll see how they match up in our very different playing mm-hmm. style site. Now my first service game here. It's good. Um, I'm but, much much again. I apologize, Brett Haber. I'm returning at the fence. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, we will say that my first take is that uh, Svetlana Parankova shock uh, quarterfinals to the U.S. Open, coming off of three years plus off tour to make a quarterfinal, will make a second quarterfinal in a row. At the French Open. On, her, on, a, not on a, a slow surface. She's fast court uh, okay. denizen. I'm now, I, I feel good about this being my coldest take that Prokhova yeah. well, is going to get through. I, they really open section of the draw, playing Barbara Krejcikova and then winner of Shmidlova, who's been, who's been amazing, and Podoroska, who I have not seen. But um, I, I I like Prokhova here. I think she, her legend will grow, is my take. I th- so one of the things I want to hear from you, when you look at the way these courts are playing, I think the players who maintain the ability to hit through them, the players mm-hmm. who it doesn't matter what surface you're on, that skill is more valuable now than maybe ever before. And on the men's side, it's obviously a guy like Berrettini, a guy like Wawrinka. You know, Rafa's pretty, you know, muscular himself. Uh, those guys are having success. On the women's side, you know, the way Arena Sabalenka has looked through the first two matches, I mean, it's just stunning that she, it's just 
just like, yeah, I know these courts are playing slow, but don't worry, I'm going to hit through them anyways, and she's one of the few players who can do that. With Ronkova's game style, I, I think it's a good take. Just the way she knows what she's going to do. She's going to change direction. She's going to try and move forward. She's going to play down the line. And then you look at the way this draw opened up for her. I, it, She's match confident. She's not going to be intimidated by the stage. She just played a quarterfinal. That's mm-hmm. It's a good take. Now, I do think Podoroska, who I have watched, she has been outstanding. And I want to say she came through qualifying. She and did. so I she believe, did. yeah, so she has had really a bunch of time to acclimate herself to that surface. And we saw in the first round how important that was. Now, once you get to the third, fourth round, if you've been here for a week, you should be used to the conditions. But yeah, take number one. I agree with you. Hold serve. All right. You're up. Okay, so you said I wasn't spicy enough. Here is take number two, also predictive. After Yelena Ostapenko's victory today over Pliskova in such convincing fashion, for those of you who didn't catch it, Ostapenko 6-4, 6-2 victory, she now mm-hmm. needs to be taken seriously as a contender, not just to make the second week, but to win this slam. I say yes. So, so the 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 measurement here is serious contender is what you're is what you're phrasing. Yeah, is she, that she I can like win that. this Grand Slam. I I have no. I mean, we've seen her do it before. I think, mm-hmm. and she is. This is momentum. This counts as momentum for her. You know, I was actually really impressed with her first time win over Brangle. I thought that had like perfect kind of like Ospinko on a bad day disaster match. We saw Brangle do that to Yastremska mm-hmm. at the U.S. Open, just completely dismantle a kind of similar vein of player. And the fact that she went two and one over Brengle, I was like, that's that's pretty good. That mm-hmm. that miss, lets me know that you're focused and you're here, and then going four and two against number two Pliskova, uh, who has not had a great, um, not had an amazing time, and is coming off injury and things like that. But mm-hmm. it's pretty solid, and, and her draw is not bad either. Playing Bedosa next, playing maybe Mardic, maybe Kvitova. I don't hate that for Ostapenko. I don't think so. It's yeah, I, I, can... I, I like I like this take. I like this take. I think she I think she should be talked about. Yeah, there are no. She can also lose who... any match, but exact... she can be talked about. Completely agree with you. She's just as likely to lose a match as she is to win it. And, you know, the term hubris probably should be associated with the Ostapenko game. But at the same time, she, like Perankova, like Sabalenka, possesses that firepower where it's like, it doesn't really matter who I play. I'm going to hit through you. And through these first two matches, the ball's landing in. And so I win. And like, as you mentioned, the institutional know-how. She's won a French Open. Given how few players have that sort of uh, experience, that matters. I can't tell you how I just crave to hear the phrase institutional know-how more often in tennis. That's good stuff. That's good stuff. All well, right, thank solid, you. Hit me with take number two. Solid, solid uh, take there. My second take is that despite all the chaos in the women's draw, we are going to get the chalkiest final possible, which is Halep Kennan at this point. Halep Muguruza would be my chalky equivalent, but I agree that it's going to be chalk in the yeah. Oddsmakers say Muguruza, yeah, sure. and, and just but like I, I, I'll take I'll, I'll take Kennan. I actually I actually really liked her match against Bogdan today. So uh, I, I, like I haven't had the chance to see that. it yet. Yeah, I was going to say, will you make the pitch for Kennan because the last three matches on clay, obviously, you know, she got that Lox and Schmier versus Azarenka, but then the next <laughs> two, uh, these two three set matches to kick off this French Open, uh, it's not not the best on paper. Locks and Schmier for the for the Goy listeners would be uh, <laughs> uh, double bagel there. Yes, um, yeah. I, I, you know, I just think Kennan's an incredibly good competitor. I think she's very comfortable on the clay. I like her draw a lot. Playing Barra next, and then winner of Farah or Sig, I think is solid. And then yeah, Mukarisa potentially in the quarters or a Sabalenka, Erjaber, Collins to be complete. But I, I, I just think that Kennan 
you know, can play so many different ways. I think she's really good at adjusting tactics. I think her mind is in it. Uh, I, I think that she believes in herself and she, and she has this sort of, even though she's had some, some wobbles for sure in the last month, when you, when I saw her get back on track today, I was, I was very impressed. And that's just recency bias. I just saw her win a match today. So I'm like, she's going to win all the matches. I mean, I've done that before who hasn't, but, uh, <laughs> but Kenan, but Kenan is, you know, a player who's been there recently and whose enthusiasm seems relatively undampened by everything that's going on. I don't think that she's, you know, particularly in a bad headspace right now, uh, which you never know about certain players too. And yeah, I, I mean, she's the weaker part of this pick. I mean, the Halep part, you're not questioning at all of this pick, but I think Halep, Halep just looks good. And, and it's been so solid in, in the matches she's played post, uh, post pandemic or mid pandemic, I should say. And uh, she's, and Isimova next is a bit of a hurdle because she lost her last year, but she sees that challenge coming. She knows her now. And uh, yeah, and I, I, I like these picks. Burton's maybe, if Burton's can get really on track, is a tough quarter, but that's been a good match for Halep in the past. So I, I feel good about Halep, and I feel pretty good about Kennan. Yeah, for Burton's coming back from, uh, you know, the, the physical battle she just had against Irani, obviously that we'll see how she responds there. But yeah, it's so funny coming into this one, you looked at that Svitolina quarter of the draw and you were like, oh my God, Conteve, Mertens, Alexandrova, Azarenka, Serena, all of these different people. And what's so funny is the top half of that section has played to chalk, right? I believe it is Svitolina taking on Alexandrova. Yeah. Garcia, Garcia beat Conteve, but yeah. But that's a seed-on-seed crime, you know, essentially. And so uh, you have four outstanding. And then, yeah, the bottom half of that quarter wide open. And it really just feels like, in general, the bottom half of the draw. I guess here's a spicy addendum to take number two. If I tell you Layla Fernandez ends up in the quarterfinals, she knocks off Kvitova, then knocks off the Burel Zhang winner, is that going to feel weird to you? No, because that's really, yeah. honestly— once she beats Kvitova, I would expect her to win the next one. Um, so, and Kvitova is not a not a dead solid lock on clay against a player playing as well as Fernandez. So, no, I, I'm open to that. I'm open it's to that. just as weird that Kvitova might make the quarterfinals as it would be for Fernandez. I agree with you. That is nah, not that, what I I'm expected. Not gonna, I'm not agreeing with that Okay, statement. you're right. Kvitova is a more expected quarterfinals. That was hyperbole. Than, uh, it slips out every so often. Yeah, yeah. Okay, um, but enough. no, I, I think that's a good take. I, I think coming into it, Simona Halep won her last 16 matches. She's a freaking beast. I think... She, I just hope she gets to like five grand slams because if she hits five grand slams, then she joins the conversation of, hey, was this actually throughout the course of her career? Maybe, I don't know, player number just in the top five of the in the Serena era. Is she one of those players? If she gets to five grand slams, you know, like a Sharapova, Venus and Enin, she belongs in that conversation. I am similarly very comfortable with a Halep title here because I like this idea of this weird post-pandemic time being a moment in women's tennis where players who are great sort of pad their greatness. We're talking about Osaka getting uh-huh. to a third. Like that's that no one thought that wouldn't happen pretty much. So like things that are expected, expected results, some sense of normalcy during this time of upheaval. I, I do crave that on some level. So that's where I think that a Halep consolidating with a third slam and a second French Open, which is overdue considering how great she's been at this tournament. Even Kenan getting a second of the year. Similarly, I just I'm I'm craving comfort. I'm I'm acknowledging analyzing my own pick here, and it just comes out of insecurity and fear about the world <laughs> around us. So thank you for exposing me so fully in that moment unintentionally. But no, uh, but yeah. Uh, I'm going to say your friend, my attempted friend, Courtney Nguyen, obviously had a great tweet uh, the other day. And just in case she's listening, hi, Courtney. 
This is Alex. I really am a fan of yours, I promise. And by the way, to hear you shout my name out, that was a dream come true. Like, seriously, Courtney, I love it. But I would also love to have you on the podcast, so I'm going to make the request one more time. Anyways, she tweeted out the stat that in the past seven years, Simona Halep has been ranked either number one or number two at some point during the season. That's fucking nuts. Like, that's yeah. just nuts. Yeah. yeah. That's a good, that was a good stat. Very good yeah. stat. I agree. All, All right. right. So, Give me your third take. So with that in mind, uh, I've got two ways to go. Do I want to go serious here? Do I want to have a little fun real quick? Let's have a little bit of fun real quick. So, you know, okay. I was watching uh, both Diego Schwartzman and Ricardo Barrancas back-to-back, and obviously those are not two of the tallest players in the world. And so I started thinking to myself, man, what is the list of players if I could just add like two to four inches to in terms of their height? And I know, you know, it, that would definitely, you know, in the real world, if you make them taller, they're going to have the same skills. Absolutely not enough. All these different things become differently and yada, 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 yada. But I don't need to hear that aspect. So I have some names for you. The five players I wish I could uh, I could make two to four inches taller. You just tell me what you think about these takes, yes or no. So I guess it's five mini takes within a service game. So this one goes to a couple deuces. Um, all right. Name number one, Barankus, who I swear would be the best player in the world if he was six foot four. Okay. He's number one for me. Two is Schwartzman, who isn't number one because I love him as he is. Like, you guys can say all you want about Diego Schwartzman. I got to say, with this take, I, 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 I'm I a little uncomfortable with this with this whole, like, <laughs> this, this, this this sort of eugenic-y take here that we're getting. Because I, 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 am, I am fine with people as they are. I don't need to change anybody. I don't want Diego. No. I want to, actually, if anything, I want Diego to get shorter because I want him to admit that he's actually five foot five or five foot four or whatever you think he is. He is not five seven. Anyone has been, I don't know if you've ever been around Diego at all in person, uh, Alex, but he is nowhere near 5'7". So, yeah. so I agree I w- with I, you. I, I, I celebrate the, the I would also say, t- having taken a class in college on the history of eugenics at our wonderful University of Michigan, I would never imply a eugenic-y take. I, you know, that was not what I'm saying. Simply put, I was, I, I was a That was yeah, a harsh critique I love take, them as is. What I'm saying is I just would be fascinated to see what they would look like if taller. So... Two is Schwartzman on that list. Number three, oh, I was watching him as well. Haomi Munar, who, by the way, I inducted into backhand down the line LLC. Because Munar's down the line backhand against Tsitsipas was brilliant. And I know he didn't win that match, but he deserves a shout-out, so he got a shout-out on this list. Number four, Alex Diemenauer, who, if he had the weapon of that six-foot-four serve, if he was Karen Hatchinoff's size with his game, I would just okay. love it. Okay, Demon, I'm going to stop you there. Demon is not that short. He's six foot. I agree. He's six feet tall. He looks like he's nine years old. People think he's really tiny all around, but he's actually not short. He's just, he weighs like a buck ten is his issue. (laughs) So if you could add the, you know, the, to his sort of, I don't know, like chest measurement or whatever the tailor would be for making (laughs) just a bigger guy, that's where I think you would need, or, or biceps or something, wherever you want to put those, those inches. Um, I don't think it's on height for Demonar. I think he needs. I think he needs to bulk up, uh, or I think he could. But I also, again, I don't want to change his people. I'm still okay. I'm letting you go through this take, but I'm still like, I want Demon the way he is. I like him being this right. fast, sprightly guy who no one thinks is six feet tall, even though he is. The last like one, though, him. I know you'll agree with because last on my list is Riley Opelka, who just imagine him at seven I foot. Four. I was hope. I was hoping you'd have a tall person on here. Yeah, yeah that, I agree. That would be the best thing in the world. I agree. Yeah, but I that's want, the like, take. What's that guy's, like, Taco Fall level? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I'm into that. That one I like. I'll take that one. All I right. wish Riley Pelka was taller. That's <laughs> a good take. All right. 
<laughs> Number three for me, speaking of Rob Pelka, another, this is an American take. I know you love your American tennis. Beautiful, because that's my number four. Sebastian Corda will be the next American man to be in a slam semifinal. Ooh. Okay, I thought you were going to say slam champion there. I'm going to disagree with you, and it's a disagreement you're going to agree with from me. Okay. Because we had you on the Great Shot podcast end of 2018. I believe it was our first podcast together, and I said, I want tears from you. And you said, I have a name in tier one that's going to throw you off your game. And I said, I have a name in tier one that's going to throw you off your game. And then we both said Riley Opelka. And I yeah. just think him, I, someone, one of my buddies texted me this, and my response was 2024 Wimbledon. I was like, that's when it's going to happen for Riley Opelka. Write that one in. Now, I think Sebastian Corda is incredible. I just think Riley Opelka is also incredible, and he's just a little bit more experienced. I mean, look, it's not going to be Corda at this tournament. I would be, because you'd have mm-hmm. to get past Nadal. Nadal would have to go out of his section of the draw, and I don't really see that happening. Yeah, I mean, you never know, but I'd be surprised. But I just, I think he's a really good, complete player. He doesn't play. He doesn't play an American style of tennis at all. I think it's fair to say he's he's got the the Czech roots and plays a, a pretty European looking game in a way that I think is well suited. And he's got the his, his mentally seems good. He's taking advantage of this this opportunity really well. Already seemed to have learned from that first experience in New York, so he's a quick learner. Just what a junior slam, you know, just two years ago in 2018, and he's already in a third round of, of a men's slam. And that doesn't happen that quickly in men's tennis that you get the junior transitions to the to the this level of the pros. So he seems he seems pretty special. I, I Opelka is my other pick for sure. Opelka, I'm very high on, um, but I don't know. It, it, you know, halfway through the heat meter here, I'm trying to get a little a little bit spicy. Where at least you go like, ooh, I, I'm gonna have to I'm gonna slow down. I'm yeah, he, no, here would be the spiciness the is next year Riley Opelka is gonna be like the 28 seed at Wimbledon or maybe the 26 seed, and he's gonna match up with a six or five seeded Roger Federer, and he's gonna beat him. And that's going to be like, what? Did Riley Opelka, what a win, the young American over Roger Federer, the big server. He's just going to have one of those big serving days that throws him off. And it's going to be like one of those narrative breakthrough moments. That's what I see for Opelka at Wimbledon. That's really specific and really like eerily. <laughs> I like that as a prediction. Let's We can replay the tape when 26 yeah. seated Riley Opelka beats Roger Federer. And I don't only, think Federer will be seated as high as number five, though. He's going to come in with yeah. a lower seat than that. Well, I wanted to seat Opelka higher, and then as I was doing the math in my head, I was like, actually, Federer could be like 12, and Opelka could be like 19, and that kind of matches up perfectly for a third-round battle, and then Opelka takes him out, and it's like, whoa, was this an upset? And then I'll be sitting smugly on my pod, be like, well, if you listen to the NCR I did on you know Thursday, October 1st, um, but... <laughs> Yeah, I just I I do really like Sebastian Corda though, who's the definition of a modern player. He's you know six foot four. He's got the big serve, but he's flexible. He can move. He's fluid. He's good from the ground. He's wants to move forward. Not the best volleyer yet, but sees the opportunities when they manifest themselves. A really well rounded player. But that leads me to take number four, Ben, because you look at it now. Only two American men left in the draw. Taylor Fritz, who's taken on Lorenzo Sinego, and honestly, for Fritz to be in the third round feels like a victory. Obviously, Corda taking on Pedro Martinez Portero, who was one of my sneaky picks. I said he was going to be the unseated player to make the round of 16 this year. Uh, You look at it for the American men. If neither Fritz nor Corda advances to this French Open fi- uh, French Open fourth round, it'll be the sixth time in 11 years, Ben, that there are no American men in the second week of the French Open. 
I don't know what the take is, but I mean, like, uh, here are some of the names who have also done it during this time period. And I went all the way back to 2010. Wait, hold on. Can I see if I can name these people? Ooh, you want to name the men who have done it? Yeah, let's see if I can do this. Go the for it. There, there fourth, are three. Fourth round. Uh, Isner. Correct. Obviously. Sock. Yep. And I'm going to say Ginepri. That is correct. And that yeah, is always yeah. the name that slips you up. And it's funny. I went back and looked uh, because I take these podcasts more seriously than I should. And there have been 14 Americans who have made the fourth round or later at a Grand Slam since 2010. Now, I won't ask you to name all of those, but uh, it's not the most inspiring cast of characters. I'll say that. And uh, I guess the take is, okay, so the reason I set that up is because, uh, you know, you talk about some of the names who have done it of late right now. Now, guys like Isner, Query, Sock, Kudla, Johnson, Sandgren, Tiafo, Mackie McDonald, they're all uh, on the tour right now, some of them starting to play their best tennis. But since I know you like yourself some Italian men, here's my take-slash-question for you. It's a yeah. Division One college format, doubles plus a six-singles lineup. Who wins right now, the U.S. men or the Italian men? What's the surface? Where are we playing? Hard courts, University of Michigan. Okay, so it's okay. Michigan's interesting. Um, <laughs> all right, I okay. I would, have to, I would have to do the paperwork and match up this whole roster. But so I'll uh, give you, I'll give you some names. Berrettini. U.S. will win the U.S. will win the doubles point. That's right away because mm-hmm. Italian men don't really play doubles well. Um, Berrettini, Sinner, Sonego, Fonini, Musetti, Travaglia. Travaglia. You got to watch those Travaglia. G's. They always oh, get the G you. is. I does it every time. The Italians. Right. The G is silent like lasagna. You know that. Alex. Exactly. You knew. Yeah. You knew this. All right. Yeah. Um, I would say I would take Italy. I have to. I have to ride. I will say. I think big picture. You know, big long term sort of. You know, life story of tennis as a pro <laughs> sport. The mediocrity of American men is one of the biggest stories of the 2010s. Mm-hmm. The fact that the U.S. stopped being a relevant country in men's tennis in the 2010s. Big old story, right? Yeah. And so. That's something that I think can be can be addressed by somebody like a quarter or an Apalka doing well, and, yeah. or Fritz is still in there. So I I, I do think it's just it's 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 it might sound homery having this conversation, but I do think <laughs> just from a demographic perspective of the sport, and obviously the women have stayed pretty much on track because of the Williamses largely, and then you had that you know 2017 Women's U.S. Open semifinals of four with U.S. women, one of them was Venus, and the other three were not Williamses, and Kenan now winning a slam too. I mean the, the women are, have gotten their act together, and they seem mm-hmm. pretty well well shaped and the men still have something to prove i mean the, the results are not really there yet we see the the numbers sort of emerging but there's not really anybody who i look at and that's why i'm you know high on court at the moment but there's not anybody i look at with the exception of maybe opelka but he hasn't done it yet uh, mm-hmm. or look at him like yeah you got the goods you're going to be the guy to make american men's tennis relevant again no I, I, it's we're not there yet so yeah, we'll and that, that the take was really going to round into you probably are a little bit happier to be an Italian men's tennis fan because you're like, okay, I have Sinner, I have Musetti. Oh, you're thrilled. Yeah, like uh, we're feeling really good. And I'm not saying Fritz, Opelka, Tiafo, Tommy Paul aren't all going to be top 50 players, I think, for a significant period of time because they will be. But, you know, I was a what 2015 where Tommy wins the French and Riley wins Wimbledon and Taylor wins the junior US Open and I call them first names because we've had them all on the cracked interviews podcast there's plug number three um but it you know 
I was so excited in that moment. I was like, oh my god, between them, between Kozlov, between Tiafo, who would play that outstanding or who play that outstanding Kalmazoo final that summer. Noah Rubin beats Kozlov the year before, and Kozlov makes two junior slam finals, and it was like, oh my god, we might have players who not only are going to be top 50, but top 20, maybe even top 10. And now these next three years would be when that starts to manifest itself. If they're going to do it, it should be in the next three. Is it my turn or your turn? I forget. Where where are we? We are on take number four for you. Okay. So I will. I, you mentioned you mentioned Italy. I have an Italian mentioned later in my takes in, in, on like the it. on the highest heat end. But I, I will say uh, you mentioned Stefan Kozlov, who I have to pause and say that I just it's, it's a mid halfway through. I just it's more of a prayer than a take. I just I want him to be on tour. I want it to be a tour level player. I I think his 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 peak cause is so glorious and. I saw a lot of it in juniors and want him to get a, a crack at, at the pros. I want him to, I want him to make it happen. So hoping just, um, you know, shamelessly, you know, pulling for, for Kozlov to be a relevant player. People get to watch because I think oh. he's so much fun when he's at his best. Again, Dianu, my friend, I completely agree. All right. Number four take for me. This is, this is a, this is a more of a slate pitch because it's completely counterintuitive <laughs> as far as take categorizing takes go, but Canada, Mm-hmm. Canadian tennis, men and women, will not win a Grand Slam title in the next five years. Oh, now we're talking. Okay, we're at all the right. back half. We're, 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 business, we're, in, we're on the, the hot half. All right, good, this is number good, four good. out of six. We're getting places. Because my next two you'll enjoy. So this is, you know, betting against people, which is different than betting on. But uh, so I'm saying I'm not sold on Felix. I'm not. I, I'm watching him at slams. I'm not sold. And... Uh, obviously five times is a long time. I'm seeing Dennis go out today to Kabaya's Baina. I'm not impressed by that, honestly. Uh, Andrescu, the health issues just continue. I, that's heartbreaking stuff. Like that, seeing her not be able to get healthy, not be able to really play a tournament after winning the U.S. Open or after I guess she played uh, Beijing. Maybe she played some, some Shenzhen. I'm not sure where her season ended exactly, but she hasn't played this year. Mm-hmm. And with all this time to get healthy that she's not playing, I don't know what exactly is up there, but it's weird and it's discouraging. Uh, and then I guess you have Layla Annie Fernandez. I'm not putting in there either. Honestly, Ronich, I do still have the Ronich rule in effect. Um, <laughs> saying that Ronich, basically the Ronich rule, people don't know it, is that the level it would take to win a Grand Slam on the men's side would dip after uh, the big four leave. And Ronich would still be there playing his Ronich level tennis. And we saw him have a very good Cincinnati, he made the final of Cincinnati. So maybe he's, I think he's still very relevant in this conversation. And then you're going to throw Jeannie Bouchard in there. She's in the third round here. Uh, she's come back. I think she can be a top uh, 40 player again soon. But uh, I'm not sure she'll get all the way to slam finals again. So my take, yeah, no Canadian slam singles champion in the next four years. Five it's years, why, five years. I had five. No, that's why they you the big bucks. That right there is Stephen A. Smith and Max Kellerman on first take level takeage. <laughs> um, yeah, it's... So the better bet is I, And I know that breaks your heart because I know you love Felix. So this is, this yeah, is mostly I, just true. meant to rile you up. No, you succeeded. The, I mean, the better bet is on the women's side because, A, Bianca Andreescu's done it. And it's like, she's done it once. We all know what it looks like when Bianca You think the better bet is on the women's side. That's interesting. Okay. Because, hmm. uh, because Bianca's... I just think team has 
team has met the threshold. The Rayonich rule for me has become the Dominic team rule because that's going to be the next guy. He is the next best player right now outside of the big three in the men's game. And I just don't know if Denis Shapovalov or FAA are ever going to be in a position where they can knock off, you know, both a team, a Zverev, a Tsitsipas, a Medvedev, a, you know, all of these guys, a Berrettini, they'd probably have to beat two or three of them to get to the finals because those guys have sort of, uh, you know, edged themselves a little bit ahead in the rankings and in the next five years I don't I mean on a hard court oh, I've seen Felix look so good on a hard court but the thing that gives me the most confidence in Canadian tennis is that I've seen how good Bianca Andreescu looks when healthy on a hard court she you yeah. know steamrolls her way through a couple of hard court events in 2019 obviously the most notable that U.S. Open title she won and you know you're absolutely right it's impossible to project health but if she is healthy, she is a contender to win any slam she has yeah. entered in, and yeah. you you can you can't say that about any other Canadian player, male or female, in singles. I want to be wrong about yeah. her health. I I do, but just like missing this whole year when she had nothing to do but to heal, uh, I just find I find very concerning. And you know, maybe there's maybe part of the factor was that she got to keep her U.S. Open points. I don't know. Most players have denied that's been a factor, but it, it you know you get to keep two thousand points. Yeah. And it's reason not to play, but you think you'd want to be there. She seemed to really enjoy the stage and, and you know, French Open, she, she, I, I think she's never seen her on grass, but, you know, she seemed fine on clay. I, I, I'm, anyway, I, yeah. I would like to be wrong specifically about that part of the take, about the Andrescu not getting back to her. So life. the thing is, I do think Fernandez also gets one in her career. I just don't know if that one's going to be in the next five years. And so there's yeah. so many good player right players right now uh, who are on you know the bubble in terms of should they, could they win a slam? Could they not in the women's game? And so outside of Andrescu, and then uh, I don't know. I, I haven't really seen Felix on grass enough. I don't know. It's a good take. It's a good take. Yeah, it's a good you. take. Thank you. Yeah. All right. All number right. number. So with that in mind, number five for me, and this is also about Grand Slams, and I will preface this by saying, because I don't want them coming after me, I don't think she's the best women's tennis player of all time. I don't think she's the best tennis player of all time. I think Serena Williams is the best athlete of my lifetime. I just think her dominance in her sport during her prime, I happen to be watching it closely. It was unlike any other sport I've seen. And, you know, you can say, you know, the Patriots ripped off a bunch of dynasties throughout Tom Brady's career. Well, not in the way that Serena Williams had to do it month in, month out, event after event after event. It's competing year round. It's just the most spectacular thing, uh, the most spectacular career we'll ever see. With that in mind, big preface, big preface. Could have deleted all of that, I know. The take (laughs) here, after watching all of this tennis unfold on the women's tour these past six, eight weeks, the only chance Serena Williams has to win slam number 24 at this point is at Wimbledon. That's the only place she can do it because I think there are too many women right now who it would just be too hard for her to beat seven of them over the course of two weeks, and so many of them are going to get a good shot at her. And I just think that her peak isn't as good as those other players. And I know this was an extreme circumstance, an extreme year, and you can't really judge it because she made you know the four finals, Wimbledon, U.S. Open, back-to-back-to-back-to-back, 18 and 19. But I just think the window's closed at those other events. I think Osaka enters the favorite at a hard court slam in every slam she enters for the next seven years. I think, Sim- years you know, Simona Halep or all of these other players are just, yeah, seven was very specific because I'm pretty sure that's when she would turn 30. And I'm not biased towards plus 30 yet. I'm halfway there uh, through my, no, over halfway. But anyways, um, 
five sixths technically. Um, and <laughs> the point is, I just outside of grass, where I've yet to see one of these young women emerge as just a stud on the surface. I see too many talented players on both clay and hard courts that I just don't think she can beat all of them uh, over the course of two weeks. So the interesting part of your statement there, I think, is where you said that you don't think her peak is as good as the other players. Yeah. That's not something you hear very often. You don't think even Serena at her best is good enough. Not that she can't summon her best, but you don't think the best is good enough anymore. If that's Ser- I'm not saying that's wrong necessarily, but that's an interesting, that's a so, more pointed way of putting it than most people put it. A thought exercise. No, that's exactly how I'd want to put it. A thought exercise for you. If Simona Halep oh. and Serena Williams were both playing their best tennis in a French Open final right now, who wins? Oh God, Simona! Because Ex- it's clay, exactly, and, and it's 2020. You know, I mean, like, and obviously we saw a very, very good Simona at 2019 Wimbledon final, blistering off the court. Yeah. So, I, I am not necessarily. If I had to bet on it, I'm not optimistic about 24 happening. Period. I again don't care about whatever happened in the pre-open era. I refer to yeah. Serena Williams' quest for her. Tw- open era record extending 24th Grand Slam. Exactly. Is how I like to phrase that. It's just individually but, 24th Grand Slam would be pretty awesome. It would be, but it's also it's also tough for me to rule it out at the same time because she's made four finals and another semi since then, right? So she keeps putting herself in these positions, even when we all can see that she hasn't been at her best. She keeps getting herself really close, and that's what she said in her press conference. I don't know if you saw her transcript or anything when she pulled out uh, yesterday. Is that she was saying that she still feels like she's close to things she wants to accomplish. She was obviously referring to twenty four, and you know that's. Again, we, I've talked about this recording a lot on NCR. It, it frustrates me so much that like this, her career is being defined by this so much. Yeah. I wish she was in more of a honeymoon phase where she was just sort of running up the score the way Federer has gotten to. Mm-hmm. Uh, although now Federer has hoofbeats behind him in a different way. But um, yeah, it's I, 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 Serena's great no matter what. I, I'm not optimistic for her future either. Her, she's going to keep having more health problems. I think her game is a lot more physically demanding than Federer's, and Federer's also having his own health issues, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're around the same age. So, we'll see. Yeah. Uh, if yeah, I could I, I think, I think, But I do think, I think your, your Wimbledon was the part of your take, was the was the way you framed the actual take. So, I agree with that. <laughs> I think that one of the biggest blows to Serena's quest for 24 was having no Wimbledon in 2020. Yeah. That was a huge deal for Serena in, in the in the 24 conversation, that she didn't, didn't get a chance to play Wimbledon this year. Mm-hmm. She was one of the biggest, quote-unquote, losers out of that decision. Yeah, the, the last way, to your point, I, I framed it wrong. I should have said, if she is to win another major in her career, it will be at Wimbledon, not the quest for 24, because I agree with you. That's kind of irrelevant. If she is to win another major, it's got to be at Wimbledon. And what's most concerning about those five losses you talk about at the late stages of Grand Slams, there are five different players, right? She lost to Kerber. She lost to Andrescu. She lost to Halep. She lost to Osaka. And she That's lost true. to uh, Azarenka. And it's just like, there's more where that comes from, by the way. You could play a Tring Sabalenka. You know my theory. Or just a Tring is too strong. But whomever it may be, there are just so many talented women. So I think her getting another major in her career, if it's going to happen, it's got to be Wimbledon. Are you ready for my fifth take? I am ready. All right. My fifth take is that Novak Djokovic will win the French Open. That's not hot. That's not hot. What's hot is that it'll be a rematch of the Rome final because Diego Schwartzman is getting to the French Open final. Oh, okay. That went in an even better direction than I was hoping for. I'm going to one-up your take with a take that I know. It's not one-upage because Diego Schwartzman okay. means you win the take. But my take number six, which blends into your take number five, Novak Djokovic will end 2020 winning every match that does not end with him striking a line judge with a projectile. 
gosh, I I always feel obligated. I mean, Djokovic fans think I'm trolling by keeping mention- phrasing it that way. Yeah. Which I somewhat am, I guess. But also, like, you have to talk about it that <laughs> I way. I agree. He was undefeated. Ha- the context is necessary for his season. He's undefeated this year. Asterisk. Real asterisk. Yeah. Like, what is the asterisk of, of that one time he played a match and he got kicked out of it be- from the first set because he you know, hit a lines woman in the throat. Like, that was a real thing that happened and changed the course of, of possibly tennis history. I mean, it could have been an undefeated season. Very plausibly. I, a you know, 40 and 0, whatever the final number winds up being. Yeah. But, no, I completely agree with you. And there's just this look on his face, and I know that's not quantifiable, but if you have watched these matches, the way he steamrolled through Barankas today, the way in his first match, he's just like... His body language just screams he's in one of those FU modes. He's just in, you know what? You yeah. all think that's cute that Dominic Team won the U.S. Open, but that was my grand slam to win. I should have won that event had I not been defaulted. I know I was down 6-5 in a break to Pablo Carreno Busta, but I'm Novak freaking Djokovic. I would have been just fine. Now watch what I'm about to do to Rafa in this French Open final. And I just think the under— like. Nothing would be more Novak Djokovic than to have all of the hoopla that he went through with, whether it's the PTPA, whether it's, you know, the Adria Tour, all of it, to just try and wipe it all away and almost, not successfully, but, you know, to wipe it all away with an undefeated season in matches that go to completion. I do think things are calming down, though. As much as he has a look on his face, I do think he has reached a level of, of calm. Because there was, I think things get did get too stormy for him at the U.S. Open. Mm-hmm. I think he, with the PTPA, with everything else going on, I think he was playing a little bit too angry and got too reckless and got burned by it. I do think that was a factor. I've heard other people say that, you know, as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pam Shriver on NCR definitely said that. And so we, you know, I, I think that Djokovic, and, but the, the part of my, Djokovic is not really the take here. My take is Diego, right? <laughs> Diego. <laughs> Making the final, that's a yeah. thing. I mean, Diego, no. his draw is fantastic. He gets he gets Gombos and then winner of Fritz Senego. That's easy quarter for me. Like, he Diego's through, right? And then he gets winner of probably Team Wawrinka. I, I don't hate him. These low bounces, I don't hate Diego there. And then he gets possibly Rafa, maybe, oh, almost certainly Rafa. Let me rephrase that. Almost certainly Rafa, maybe a Zverev, maybe um, a Sinner. <laughs> and and I I like him there. I think these low bounce if the conditions stay the same, if it stays low bouncing, you know, I think that Diego came really close to beating Rafa at the French Open a couple years ago and it got changed by a rain delay or something like that when the conditions changed and now he believes and it's take number five, so we're going out on some limbs here. Diego Schwartzman, French Open finalist, twenty twenty. And a, and if for some reason it's not Novak, yeah, he can probably beat a lot of other people in the final. Well, take six B for me was I have or Zverev has everyone where he wants him, and he's going to do his most Zverevy thing and beat Nadal in the quarterfinals. Just again, another middle finger to anyone who's doubted him. But I I don't know how I feel after watching that Air Bear match. I just don't see that. I think I. We talked. Okay, we talked about last time you were on the show. We yeah, talked about exactly. Zverev, right? Since then, I know you're big. You know, you both have the name Alex. You know, you're both. You know, handsome. 20, blue are you the same age? Are you? Are you? Uh, he's a ninety-seven, and you're a ninety-six. Five, five, ninety-five. Okay, he's not playing good tennis, man. Like I don't care how much he's winning. He's not playing good tennis, and that's got to catch up with him at some point. I, I, I honestly think that he has to play better than he has played mm-hmm. to beat even just a combination of, of Checkinado Sinner. Yeah, like that's true. I. He got, he's got to step it up, and it's just been so mediocre to watch mm-hmm. him in all these big matches lately. So he's really impressed with himself. Good for him. 
that's one thing I was talking to a colleague of mine and said, you know, I say this for your generation of tennis players, right? Mm-hmm. They haven't let their lack of winning hurt their self-esteem. <laughs> like they really believe. And so that's, 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 good point. that's good. So, you know, but yeah, I, I, my take is, my take is, uh, my take is Diego. That's good. I would say the other thing, Schwartzman has looked so good. And then, I just think Dominic team on clay. So, I sent I you the props we did with Ricky. My my take of of Schwartzman losing less than six and a half games to Justino held up. Yeah, it was a Taking good take. under six and a half for yeah. a best of five match on clay? The Great. thing is, though, Giustino, if memory serves me correctly, was coming off of a five-set battle in his first yes, round yeah, match. Yeah, and yeah, I know. You know I who know, you I don't know, want to but... play after a five-set battle? Diego Schwartzman. You know who you would want to play even less? A six-foot-four Diego Schwartzman, by the way. Just throwing that <laughs> out there. What is a six-foot-four Diego Schwartzman? That's, yeah. that's like completely not a thing that exists in any it's level. It's true. It's true. But, yeah. But, no, I mean, it, it's a great— I like it. I like the Djokovic side. Don't love the Schwartzman side, but okay, so, so your your six your six— Pick is Djokovic, Djokovic undefeated. undefeated? I agree with you. I think he's winning yeah, this that's... French Open. I just love it. And then what? And then like, it'll be a question of how many more tournaments there are. Yeah, maybe the year right? end finals. That's like maybe the last one he plays. Yeah, year end finals could happen. I think Bear C could happen potentially, mm-hmm. depending on how COVID goes in um, this year. Which brings me to my. There's, I'll tell you now. There's a surprise seventh take coming. Oh, we get to a break. The tie break. Tie break. We're going to a breaker, but because right. we're both serving out so well, maybe there were some repeated breaks. Who knows? It could be an Irani <laughs> match kind of situation. My sixth take, and I made this take before, but I'm reiterating it. I feel even better about it. Yannick Sinner. Now here it is. Will finish his career with more Grand Slam titles than any other active player who hasn't won a Grand Slam. And I will throw Team in there. Team was previously in that category. The one doesn't change my thinking. Yannick Sinner will be his the, his coach generation. Now, he's in his first slam third round. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he's doing, you know, steps at a time, but he's looking great. He destroyed Goffin in that first round. Um, he is our ginger savior, yeah. and he's going <laughs> to do beautiful things for Italy and the world. So just to clarify for all the listeners whose brains automatically went there, he said of active players with no slams. That means the person who was just born as this podcast was going does not qualify because they are not an active Right, player I guess so. Tour. I mean, I, I haven't focused too much on where the, the sort of younger limit of that is. Yeah. I mean, if you want to say like, oh, somebody who's playing juniors now or even like, honestly, even somebody in like the sort of um, yeah, first yeah, mini no really racket in their younger. hand. Yeah, no. So yeah. I disagree of, with of you. Players, of, player, let's say, of players who have played a slam yeah. as of now. So I disagree with you because for me it always comes back to Alex Zverev, and you know that. And Someone mocked me, by the way, the last time I came on because I said he was going to win 10 of the, la- the next 12. I didn't say he was going to win 10 of the next 12. I said he is the sort of guy who could win 10 out of 12 during some point in his career. I'd just like to clarify that. I think you said 10 out of 13 to give oh, you more clarity. Oh, yeah. Perfect. Ten out of thirteen. Give it's me still a, a ridiculous for take, but I'm going to give you full context. <laughs> well, thought I'd throw it in here again. I think it was Mike um, Cation also who called that out. Was one of the people who said like, I don't know about that take, man. Yeah, again, it's the one I stand by most uh, vociferously, I suppose. And I just, I say no because you, as as a Zverev, as the ultimate Zverev yeah. proselytizer now. 
are you liking what he's what he's offering up these days? Are you enjoying watching his matches? I mean, what, it, yes, defend your the, boy. Because the difference is, and unfortunately, he doesn't go zero to sixty like the Ferraro does. But he goes like it. It's so the slow stage was first. I'm going to play five set matches and lose them. Now I'm going to play ugly five set matches and win them. And is that phase taking a little longer than I would like? Of course. But he is winning them. He is problem solving out there. That air bear match should have been over in three sets, but he just fell asleep at the wheel. A bunch bunch of times. Um, I thought the way he bounced back in round one was awfully impressive. Now, we don't have to go back to the U.S. Open, but, you know, it's only been two matches on the clay for him this entire season. He's still trying to find his footing, and the fact that, you know, you're playing a Pierre Husser Bear who came into the net 96 times or something crazy, who every third shot was a drop shot, it's going to be tough to find your rhythm, but he's winning. And uh, just for a guy whose essence is confidence, right, that's everything he uh, attempts to just portray as a player, uh, the confidence is building. And so, again, if he gets to that quarterfinal with Rafa, I'll probably be my most confident about him in any match he's played this week because it's just like him as an underdog is a position I just love him in at this point. That's what he wants. That's what he wants. It always ends with zero. I don't know. He sees himself as such an alpha, too. He can't, He was yeah. talking in his first press conference about playing on playing seven matches here. And I'm just like, you know, slow down. I love you it. did it once, and it was against <laughs> Carreno, Busta, and Chorish in the last two rounds. Like, again, the self-esteem comment about your about your generation is fully a Zverev comment. And we had <laughs> we had Yannick Schneider, the German journalist, on before. And his, his I mean, he used the word arrogance, so I, I feel fine echoing that. This, did, Zverev's belief in himself is truly something otherworldly i i i envy that um i mean as someone who's also at points in my life had (laughs) great hair i see what it does for him like everything for zarev everything starts and ends with the hair that's the one that's undeniable oh it 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 all flows down from there literally and yeah I, i i mean did you see the heavy balls comment did you see the the press exchange, whatever, when someone asked him about, I think Jake, who's the guy who always asks him the question? I forget. Someone asked him, like, what do you think of the heavy balls uh, that they're playing with? And he goes, oh, I'm, I'm not going to make a joke about heavy balls. I was like, well, you kind of just made a joke about heavy balls. I didn't saying, think, man. I'm happy to have not seen that. Yeah. It sounds terrible. No, and it, it's just like, that's Alex Zirov in a nutshell sometimes. You're like, you didn't have to say it. And by saying it, you, by saying you're not saying it, you're actually saying it anyways. It's just like, you don't have to make it this hard on yourself. You know, you don't have to play five set okay. matches you could beat someone two two and two and it's cool why are we spending my center segment talking about Zverev though? because that's I mean, what i talk do about how great center i know but we talk about center they play each other fourth round all right so yeah. this could be a big match for this, for this this sinner's outstanding sinner has looked so good i mentioned it at the beginning the disrespect in his eyes towards benjamin bonzi he was just like i'm i'm good with this match we can move on it's time for me to be in the third round and it's just I mean, like who, who doesn't think that in the third set of a best of five match that's going nowhere. no but i'm saying he thought that maybe at 2-0 in the first set he just like there was this body language for him there it's the confidence and the way he blew through the next gen finals last year the fact that i said when we talked about this i think on a different pod we did that I was concerned about his movement. I didn't know if he was going to be a good athlete or not. His movement on the clay looks awesome. I mean, he takes balls early. He changes direction. He beats you to the spot. Yes. He was was a ski race champion. You're doubting his movement? He falls down mountains well. It's true, but... Yeah, I mean, you, yeah, I, I agree with you. He's going to have to slalom his way up the charts, but I think he is on his way. All right, are you ready for my last take? It's I, kind of the bonus ready. take. It's I got to say, it's it's a low-key downer take, but I'm ready for it. So we're, we are we are now at the, you know, day five of the 2020 French Open. Mm-hmm. The 2021 French Open 
all right, mm-hmm. will be the next Grand Slam. <sighs> Again, is this the B block or the A block for hot uh, for a uh, first take tomorrow this is, morning? This is this is this is the this is the dramatic. I don't watch uh, that show, but it's, I watched it. With my I'm friends with uh, yeah. Carrie Champion. Uh, mm-hmm. Who name drops? You know, I knew from te- yeah. Well, of course. I mean, Cor- <laughs> Courtney's better friends with her name drop on her behalf, but I've been <laughs> with her for sure. And yeah. and she, you know, used to work Tennis Channel. I don't know if you remember that. And she, so we knew her from her tennis days. Mm-hmm. And then she got to be on that show. And I tried watching the first day she was on. I was like, I can't, I can't watch this show. This is unwatchable. But um, but anyway, yes. So that's my that's my. It's a sad take, but I don't think. Mm-hmm. No, it's. I think COVID's going to get worse. I think Australia is very cautious as a country about these things. Mm-hmm. I don't think the Australian Open's happening. And so the next we'll have back to back French Opens in terms of mm-hmm. the slam timeline. It's gonna look it's gonna be weird, but we're gonna have back to back French Opens. No, I would say if, I, w- I mean that's assuming that it happens in May twenty twenty one as planned, but we'll yeah. Have. So my name drop equivalent, I want Scott Prims Ripapat to laugh when I sent her a photo of Gordon Sondland and said that looked like the Duke women's tennis coach and she was like, It really does look like the Duke women's tennis coach. So go look that up for all of you listeners out there. But yeah, that's, that's a throwback take. To, that's the throwback <laughs> to the impeachment era. I like Prim. Uh, I just I just don't know who the other people are not involved. I'm sure I'm sure that, that joke reference made somebody out there yeah, in Sarah Lane very it, happy. It, yeah, someone out there is like, Wow. Um but anyways hmm. Australia right now the plan is to have players come at the start uh, or like start of December right or something crazy like that or like I just don't think they're gonna do which I I might have an Australian Open but it might just be honestly my take on Australia is I would be totally cool and chill and happy if they were like you know what guys it's a we're gonna hold a Margaret slam right we're gonna play domestic friends and family only we're gonna have a domestic championship we're gonna do it up we're gonna have Australian Open level productions and if they can get if they're allowed to fill arenas, they can. I mean, Aussies, you know, love Aussies. They love watching the Aussies. They always do really well with them. If they played like a 32 draw, those national championships. If you get give me a Demon Kyrgios final and put it in Rod Laver Arena with 15,000 people, I'll be I'll be happy as a as a whatever an Australian clam. I, I will be <laughs> delighted. You know, give me you know Barty versus I, the women's side is a little thinner, but Barty I don't know versus Tamjanovic, Gavrilova resurgence. An underdog, Stozerella, Destiny, Ayava, like who? Who yeah. knows? Like I mean, like Gavrilova I'm, action. Yeah, yeah, Gavrilova would be in there too. Like I, I'm not feeling it with Australia, yeah. uh, and they're and they do not shoot straight on their sort of policy. I remember, I still remember them talking so confidently about how Serena was going to be there in uh, gosh 2018 when she had just had a baby three months earlier, and Craig Tyler was like, "Yep, she's coming, she's coming," and she wasn't coming. So mm-hmm. they, as a as a federation, I think they are not reliable narrators uniquely. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I, uh, yeah, I, I don't see it happening. I see COVID getting worse before it gets better in this in this winter, unfortunately. And that, and I just, and with how cautious the Australian government has been, all their travel restrictions, they still don't have lots of Australians who are able to come to the tournament. Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry, sorry, come to the country. They still have people who can't come home who are stuck overseas uh, after they close their borders. So, making. Mm-hmm the world the earth move for a pandemic slam i just mm, they love their sports but i just don't see it happening in australia maybe something crazy happens like they hold the australian open at indian wells or something yeah, but or, or they hold I, it in march and they give everyone a delayed off season and because yeah, time is key right that there's more time to make vaccine more time to distribute it more time to do all of these different things and the french open wimbledon have the benefit of time now if you're asking me to make a bet i guarantee you the 2021 u.s open happens like if they're going to do it this year they're a thousand percent doing it next year i think it's a good take though like i have no issue with that take at all 
all. I think that's uh, it's sad, but that's probably correct. Now, my follow-up to that would be, and I guess this is the last take, um, if they hold the domestic slam in Australia and Nick Kyrgios wins the men's version, does he advertise himself as now a men's Grand Slam champion? Oh, okay. That's interesting. <laughs> I, I'm going to say no. No, yeah, no, I, no. I think so. No, because he's all about asterisking everybody else's achievements, right? Like yeah. he's saying, you know, like his ridiculous... It's just under-informed, very poorly informed, like, Karenia boost to take. Which people are blaming me for. Like, this happened in my mention. It doesn't mean that I wrote this take. I never said that Karenia Busta was, like, you know, Clay-only player would or would not. That was a terrible take by Nick. No, I, I don't... Uh... Yeah. I don't think so. I, I agree so. with you. But hopefully hopefully we get to see, you know, all of these players back on tour. Or hopefully we get to see all of these, you know, slams get to take place. But I, it's a sad final take, but I don't disagree with it. Speaking of Crane Booster, like, I've not heard anyone mention him in this tournament. He's still in the next check. But he, 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 is the, he is the, like, most invisible guy. Yeah. I, I think right. he likes it that way, though. I, I actually have no idea. He doesn't, yeah. he doesn't have a choice. Get down with PCB. <laughs> yeah, you know me. All right, I am down with CR and all of your other various abbreviations that you have. I think since we last recorded, I finally subscribed to your Patreon, which gets me all the podcasts in one feed. Mm-hmm. And there are so many. Like, <laughs> you are so prolific. Yes. How many podcasts are you doing a day? So it's at least two a day. We've got the GSP Ace of the Day where we make our picks for all of the matches. We do the mini break where we recap all of the action. If you listeners can't tell, I like to talk. And, you know, there are so many fun voices to hear from in the tennis world, Ben Rothenberg being one of them, a multi-time appearer on the show. In fact, I think I did do the list out, and I think you are number four right now uh, behind just behind three others but you're you're working your way up the list it doesn't count because one i guess you're technically then number three because one of them now works for cr the other matt's yeah, yeah exactly count that. so number three overall bravo to you but you know who's not on that list courtney Wynn. Cor- yeah still still no appearances so i'll use him last time courtney again it's your friend alex your want soon to be friend alex very very fond of your work you've killed it at the front you just you've really killed it through your career bravo to you let's celebrate that career together on one of our cracked rackets podcasts which all of you listeners can find on itunes spotify wherever you listen to your shows or at our website crackedrackets.com. and you're on patreon too this oh, is patreon part of the show where I, well, well, I will Thank plug you. patreon and actually i'm going to stop it here and record because i gotta do it's the first show of the month of october so i gotta do all our backers so it's gonna be a, it's gonna be a a, a moment of yeah. listing but i, I won't totally. put you through that but alex thank you for being on here you guys are on uh, patreon.com slash crack rackets is your mm-hmm. handle that's there the link for patreon mm-hmm. all right and you're on twitter at great shot pod still we've been over this we that's we, my birthday present to you is getting you to change your <laughs> handle we had i want to say this there's a meeting scheduled about it after the french open Wow, that's unnecessary. Just do it. But fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> Holding meetings. My God. All right. Alex, thank you very much. Thank you very much, Ben. So thank you very much to Alex Gruskin for coming back on NCR once more. And thank you to all of you for sticking with us through the long month of September, as I mentioned on yesterday's show. 22 episodes in the month of September we dropped on the NCR feed, which is crazy. Definitely most we've ever had. But we've also had the most support we've ever had from you guys on our patreon so thank you so much to you guys and as i alluded to there it's the first episode of the month of october so a lot of thank yous to get through here we on the first episode of the month always thank everyone who is a backer at the on tour level which is our ten dollar a month level so thank you to all these very loyal backers here i'm about to name danielle hartzell horatio silva annie kim russell baker jb wogan james hindle 
Jillian Dobson, Helene DeVitt, Andrew, The Body Surf Podcast, Andrew Eccles, Stephanie Chow, Greer Millard, Brett Halsey, Ava Marshalkova, John Fisher, Rumdwav Wong, Kate S., Jeremy Blackstock, Dermot Harkin, and Lori Porter. Those last four backers, I think, were all with us since January, since right pretty much the day we launched. So thank you very much to them. And as always, every episode, we thank our Patreon Slam Champ backers, Liz Kennel, Jonathan Weinbaum, Mary Carrillo, Leia Williams, Chuang Nguyen, Betty, Audrey Wellens, Sean Mulroy, Susanna W., Jean Simeon, and Antonio Maycumber. And big exciting news at the GOAT level, we have a new GOAT level backer this month, Nicole Copeland. Thank you very much, Nicole, for joining the ranks of the GOATs. Nicole joins Christopher Bishop, J.O.D., Charles Cena, and Mike. So thank you to Nicole, who's our new backer to announce since our last episode, and a new GOAT backer. And thank you all for your support as well. If you want to join in the support of NCR, you definitely can. Patreon.com slash no challenges remaining. Also, if you want to support Alex, Alex is like Alex Gruskin, just on the show. One of the hardest workers in the biz for sure. Starting out, coming on strong. He's prolific, does multiple podcasts a day. Subscribe to all the Crack Racket stuff. He's really, if you enjoyed what you've heard from him here, his, his energy and enthusiasm for the sport is pretty tough to match. So uh, it's a good egg. Hope you guys can support him on his various platforms as well. And thank you for listening to NCR. Uh, only 10 more daily French Open episodes to go. Bye, guys. Bye.